before we get into Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, I'm going to read to you out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And he was known as the weeping prophet because his ministry was accompanied by a lot of suffering. Not only his own suffering, but national suffering. The nation of Israel was imploding from the inside out. Their enemies were creeping in. Things were not getting better. They were getting worse. And there were people in the midst prophesying great things. Oh, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. And yet God was speaking to Jeremiah. No, it's, it's actually not gonna get better. It's not gonna get better. Can you imagine that? God telling you, your people, no, it's actually gonna get worse. That's not the message we want to hear, bro. Like, what, what's going on? And yet God had a plan in that. And so God activated his plan, and he sent the children of Israel to Babylon. He sent them there. They were taken captive by, by Nebuchadnezzar. It was a bad deal, and people were killed in the process, and it was, it was terrorism at its core. And, and yet this is what God said, listen, to the children of Israel in captivity through Jeremiah. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's a pretty extensive list. It's not just poor people or one group. It's the priests, it's the prophets, it's, it's everyone is in Babylon. Everyone's been carried away captive. Not, not a good day. Where are you at, Lord? What's going on, God? How should we respond to this? Don't you know who we are? And the Lord's, oh yeah, I totally do. Let me give you some words while you're suffering. Verse two says, this happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen's mother, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and the Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. And the letter was sent by Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gomariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, had sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what the letter says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. I've got that circled because it's a troubling verse. You mean you caused this, Lord? Yeah. What? But Nebuchadnezzar's a bad guy. Lord, there's all kinds of evil. Yeah, I know. I'm God over everything. See, we like to compartmentalize God. We're Americans, and so God loves us, but other countries or other national groups or, or this and that, God says, look, look, look. I, I created all of it. I created everything, and I'll use everything. Pandemics, viruses, economic upheaval, corruption, sin, failure, yours or theirs. I'll use it all. And he claims, I carried you away captive. Here's what he says to them. Build houses, verse five. Dwell in them. Plant gardens. Eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters for your husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and that you may be increased there and not diminished. You, I don't have time, but just think about it. You're in a bad spot. God says, okay, don't stop bearing fruit. Why? Because you're not always going to be in a bad spot. You're not always going to be in a bad spot. You're going to be delivered from this hell. You're going to be delivered from this bondage. You're going to be delivered from this valley. And when you get out, you want to have some stuff. How many of you guys, when you get into bondage, you get into valleys, you get into hell, you stop doing everything right. You just get all weird. You just pull anchor and start drifting. This is what we do. So God sent a letter from Jeremiah to the people of Israel and said, hey, when you're there, man, don't just like cast off restraint. Don't be a weirdo. 
And the temptation in 2020 and 2021 and all these crazy things going on, I'm just gonna become a weirdo. I'm gonna back off. I'm not gonna press in. I'm not gonna excel. I'm just gonna wait and coast and see what happens. He's what? No. Press in. He goes on though. He says, and verse seven, this is kind of what I was getting to. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. What? You want me to seek peace for the city I live in? For Babylon? You want me to pray for Babylon? Yeah, I want you to pray for Babylon. Lord, I pray for Babylon. I pray I chant down Babylon, you know, to quote Bob Marley, you know? That's funny stuff, right? I, you know, you guys don't know Bob Marley. Anyways, it's, it's a song. You don't need to know it. That's fine. Uh, and you're praying against Babylon. He said, no, don't pray against Babylon. What? I love the book of Daniel. I love the book of Esther. I love the Old Testament where these men and women are situated in a position where they don't want to be. It's not right. It's not good. It's not great. And God says, hey, I want you to serve the people you're with. As unto me, I'm doing stuff. You're not always going to be here. I'm moving you through. And when you get through, I want you to have fruit on the other side. And Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar and he served his son and he served Darius the king and the Medes and the Persians and he served everybody in Jared. Why did he do that, by the way? Because Daniel was in Babylon, Babylon and he posted up and he went and checked his email and Jeremiah had sent him this letter. He said, hey, Daniel, while you're there, make sure not to resist and get angry towards all these opposers, but instead pray for them. Pray for in its peace, you will have peace. These are the instructions that God gives to us. And I need to be reminded of that. It's verse seven of Jeremiah 29. Everyone loves Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of a future and hope and peace. And all these, that's a great quotable verse. It's a hallmark verse. There's a whole run-up story before you get there. And I say that to say this. We're gonna talk about prayer just a little bit today if we ever get into the text. We're gonna talk about prayer, I promise. And we're gonna pray before we begin. And what we're gonna pray for is we're gonna pray for our nation. Right now there's, there's chaos going on. You, ever, you watch the news? Anybody got the news? Okay, chaos. Afghanistan, there's unnecessary death and fallout and chaos. I don't know the whole death count, but 13 of our Marines died just a few days ago. Almost 200 other casualties involved in that same blast, Afghanis. It's just, and we're over here. I don't know, I, I'm, I, don't, have, I don't have any answers. I don't have any intel. I don't know what's going on. And yet I do have a book that tells me, hey, in the midst of chaos, and, and not just globally, and let's pray, we're gonna pray for Afghanistan. We don't wanna harden our hearts or, or turn our blind eye in, in our inability to do something. And then our nation, it's going crazy again. It's going crazy again. And the COVID count's going, going nuts. It's a real thing. We've had people in our staff, people in our family, people in our body impacted by that. And I don't wanna walk in fear. Anybody wanna walk in fear? I don't want to walk in fear. I want to put the shield of faith on. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. Belt of truth. Put on your, your boots, your combat boots, your gospel boots, sword of the truth, you know? And to pray. Ephesians chapter six, Paul tells us, he says, armor up, suit up. And then, and then what? What do we do then? Who are we going to kill? You know? And he says, no, no. That doesn't, you know what I'm saying? He says, armor up, and having done all, stand. Make a stand. Just stand, stand in the gap. Jesus had already declared before Ephesians chapter six, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Gates are a defensive tool. They keep people out, okay? Hell is not on the offense, it's on the defense. When we do what we do as Christians, we're plundering hell. Okay, we're taking people out, setting captives free. Don't walk in fear, okay? But also don't walk uneducated and undirected. God has given to us instruction in our own Babylon experience, our own deal, and we're gonna to see today in, in, in Colossians chapter two, seven things that you need to do when you're getting tested. 
how to, how to bear fruit in tough times. That's the title of the sermon. But I'm gonna ask you guys to go to pray with me before we get into God's word. We're gonna pray for our nation. We're gonna pray for our globe. We're gonna pray for each other. Father, in Jesus' name, we now bow our hearts. Lord, I bow my knee. And we, in Jesus' name, respond, Lord, to your word. And we ask, Lord, for peace. We ask for peace for our nation. We ask for peace for, Lord, our state. It's just a divided state right now. Lord, we ask for peace in our county. Lord, we ask for peace in our city. Lord, we ask for peace in our community. Father, I, I thank you, but I also ask you for the peace that already exists in our church. This is a peaceful church. Lord, it's not a divided church. I just, so many pastors right now are quitting because their church is divided. And Lord, it's not our story. We're united, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, I thank you for the unity we have as a leadership team, a congregation, Lord. I thank you, and we pray for mercy upon our county, Lord, our city. In Jesus' name, for those who are sick, we ask for healing right now in Jesus' name. For those who are hurting, Lord, we ask for healing in Jesus' name. Lord, for protection, we ask as school begins soon, Lord, I'm not sure how it even is gonna look in our county, give wisdom to the administrators, the teachers, principals, parents, Lord, who are making a decision to homeschool or go online, and there's so much division. We pray for peace. We pray for peace, Lord. Knowing that you, Lord, cause all things and you redeem all things. Not all things are good, but you cause all things to work together for good. May we be that people group who believes that, who sees that, who prays into that. Lord, have your way in our hearts and make us leaders of peace, peacemakers. Lord, we pray for our nation right now, our government, Lord, from the top down, for the Biden administration. We just pray for our president. You've commanded us to do so. We pray for him, Lord. We pray for mercy and protection, Lord, over the cabinet and for the White House and for our le- We just pray for our country, Lord, the USA. In Jesus' name, have mercy. Lord, establish yourself as king. And even as things are so dire and dark and confusing, Lord, and, and depressing if we're not careful, in Jesus' name, would you, Lord, get the attention? Would men and women, us included, and us at the foremost, look beyond our leaders and look upward to our Savior? Or would you use this to cause men and women to put their roots in the unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ? Lord, we also pray for Afghanistan and other countries, Lord. I think of Syria and our brothers and sisters in Lebanon. And Lord, uh, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, there's so much going on. And in Jesus' name, we have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive our globe, Lord your people. You look at all races, all peoples, yours. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Fight our battles. Redeem the chaos. We need you, Lord. Keep us humble. And would you forgive us, Lord? I'm really only in charge of myself. I can only, I can only tell what's going on in my heart. So I, I pray for, for forgiveness of my heart. Maybe you would do the same for you. Lord, just search me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you bless us today as we get into your word? We look to you, Jesus. And again, we ask that you would bear fruit deep within for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Keep praying for uh, the things that you see. We see a lot of things. We see and hear more things now in our generation than in any other generation that has ever lived. It used to be you would have to wait till a certain day for a messenger to come up and give you news from the city. And they would give you bits and pieces and it wasn't even exhaustive. Okay, you have so much information right now, you're probably informationally exhausted, aren't you? I mean, we just get so much and maybe you're like me and you see something, it doesn't even phase you anymore because number one, you're like, I don't even know if I believe that. I don't even know if I believe that. This many people died and this COVID strain is over here and this is happening. And even when you read your weather app, do you ever just go to a different weather app because you don't believe the one you checked? I got three weather apps because I don't like them all the time. Like, I don't like that one. I'm gonna check the weather on another app. Like, what? you know, the meteorologists are against us now. I'll tell you what, keep... 
Keep your heart soft, okay? Keep your roots down. I read to you a verse out of Jeremiah 17 at the beginning of church. And in Jeremiah 17, there's a, a command to put your trust in the Lord. And I was reminded of that verse during our morning prayer. We pray at 8.30 every morning here. And the verse that came to my mind before we get into today's text is out of Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms. In Psalm 1, as it segues, it talks about what not to do. And instead, it says about the man of God, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night, and he, that's me, that's you, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. The man of God, the woman of God, who believes in God's word, who has roots down, will have fruits out. And the psalmist says that even in those hot times, drought times, difficult times, men and women of God should not be barren. Our leaves shouldn't wither. We shouldn't be freaking out, okay? Our job is to bear fruit in the darkest of times, the darkest of seasons, to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Without light, without salt, everything dies, everything rots. And Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And he gave us his Holy Spirit and said, now go do these things. I want to encourage you in chaos. It's a mess. They were in Babylon. As a matter of fact, I didn't read to you. I read to you Jeremiah 29 all the way to verse 7. And in verse 10, he's reading. And Jeremiah is given the revelation, the prophecy, the understanding that, hey, guess how long we're going to be in Babylon for? 70 years. How many of you guys think 70 is a long time? Just raise your hand. Like, eh, it's a long time. It's a long time. However, it's also a specified time. It's a specified time, which means that God is in control. And while they were gonna suffer for 70 years, that was what they owed the Lord. It was the punishment that they had deserved, okay? God said, I know what I'm doing. There's gonna be a time. And so too, you and I, when we suffer, when we go through life, when things happen, we need to look to God's word that our roots will grow down, our fruits will go out, and we'd have insight and understanding. What's going on here? What's going on here? Man, the talking heads, the rest of the world, people that don't know Jesus, don't know the word, they have no idea what's going on. You who know the word, you have an idea what's going on. You know what's happening, and you should have a smile on your face. You should have a bounce in your step. You should have an aroma about you that is peace and love and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and meekness and self-control. Up against us, there is no law. Man, we should be, this is our, this is our, this is our command. It's also our destiny. That is, it's who God has made us to be. And so that's why we're studying the book of Colossians right now. Turn to Colossians chapter one and verse three. And in Colossians chapter one, we see Paul writing to the church at Colossae. It's a church that was outside of Rome. It was a small church, a struggling church, a young church. And so Paul writes him some words. And he says, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to do these things in order to make sure your focus is on the Lord, in order that your focus is on the right things and not to get swayed into one ditch on the left or the right. And if you're a note taker, and I would encourage you to do so or to you know, press into the things of God, take this seriously, you can write this down. How to bear fruit in tough times, seven things to do when you're getting tested. And I'm gonna say what I mean to say at the end, at the beginning, because I'll probably forget. Last night I woke up, I couldn't sleep, I was tossing and turning from around two to four, I had concluded that it might have been the deli meat at the wedding that I ate at the end. You know, anybody else eat, eat the deli meat at the wedding last night? 
And I just, I thought, I was like, was it the deli meat, you know, something, you know, and is this going to go, how, how bad is this going to get, you know? I slept through it. But as I was sleeping, I was considering these seven things that I'm going to try and help you to write down or consider. And, and, and the Lord asked me, say, Luke, it's not just important that you teach these well or that you write these down or that you see these. Luke, ask yourself this question. Are you doing these things? And the Lord was talking to me. It wasn't just the, the deli meat. And the Lord was saying, Luke, are you, are you doing these things? I said, that's, that's actually the master question, isn't it? Am I doing these things? And I want to teach this to you guys, but I want you to not just be hearers of the word only, but to be doers. James warned us, and he said, hey, careful about Bible study. You're gonna hear a lot of talk, 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 and you're gonna agree, you're gonna nod, you're gonna laugh at the funny jokes, you're gonna highlight, but that doesn't mean anything if you're not doing it. Don't just be hearers only. It's super easy, but be doers. So let's read what Paul has to say. Beginning in verse one, we studied this for two weeks in a row. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. He'd never been there, but he loves these guys. He loves these gals. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven in which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it also has into all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also is among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, all, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Seven things to do when you're getting tested and how to bear fruit in tough times. Number one is to give thanks. Look at verse one, uh, three, uh, first sentence. He says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always, giving thanks Thanksgiving, the first thing Paul says right out the gate is, you know what, when I heard about you, I just started thanking God. And every single day, he says, I, I pray for you always, and I always give thanks for you. And the first thing we wanna do when we're being tested is to have a thankful heart, a grateful heart. Now, I'm not naturally a thankful person. I actually have uh, the spiritual gift of criticism. Anybody else have the spiritual gift of criticism? And uh, so you're just, you know, I actually do. My dad told me when I was about 19 years old, he took me aside, kind of had a father-to-son talk, and he said, hey, son, I just want to talk to you. He said, uh, he confessed first that he had a, uh, a critical spirit. He said, I have a critical spirit. I'm a critical person. I'm critical towards your mom. I've been critical towards you, critical towards your sister. I'm a critical man. I'm dealing with it. I'm working on it. And he said, because you're my son, you have picked that up as well. You just... You're, you're, and, he, and he told me that at, at 19, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to deal with this. Kind of put that backpack on. I got, I'm a critical person. Now there's a gift in it. There's a, a bright side. A critical person has an understanding of what's going on and, and is able to see a vision and identify problems and navigate through dark waters and make decisions. And it's a leadership quality that has a shadow side, a dark side that can be negative. And you can find yourself just being negative instead of being positive. Paul says, hey, you know what I do? I give thanks. I'm just a thankful person. I'm a grateful person. Now, was Paul a good leader? Did Paul have discernment? Was Paul able to identify problems? Was Paul able to do surgery on hearts spiritually and say, this got to go, that's got to go, this, you know, he was able to, but he started with thanksgiving. And let me encourage you, if you're in a hard season right now, if you're in a difficult time, okay, spend some time being grateful and thankful for the things that God's given to you, that God, that God has done right. 
What did he say in Jeremiah? He said, hey, be, be grateful, man. Take wives, take sons, bear fruit, do gardening, do stuff like that, be grateful. How, it's so easy right now. It's an American pastime to complain about things and to be critical, to see the negative and everything. It's what we do. We're actually kind of proud of ourselves for how critical and negative we are. And I would say this, as the Lord asked me this morning at 2 a.m., Luke, you gonna do this? Or are you just gonna still be critical? It's easy to spot flaws. Let me challenge you, church, to be a grateful person. Are you being tested right now? Try Thanksgiving. Try offering that attitude of praise. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it actually commands us to be grateful in all things. I'll read it to you. It says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Don't give thanks for everything. You guys know that's right, right? You don't give thanks for everything. I got the COVID, thank you, Jesus. You know, I was like, no, no, no. You don't give thanks for everything. Give thanks in everything. Have you walked yourself through your reaction if disaster strikes? I have. I've walked myself through premeditated Thanksgiving. Something bad happens in my life. If something happens to one of my kids or something happens to my own life. So what am I gonna do? Am I gonna pull a challenge card and challenge the Lord? Or am I gonna be like Job who fell to his knees, boils on his skin, loss everywhere. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was being tested, dark time. And you, you might be going through a season right now where you're getting mad at me for even talking about being thankful. Like, shut up, Pastor Luke, you don't know me. You know? And your situation's dark. Let me just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you even more mad by saying this. Okay, your situation might be dark right now, but it's not Apostle Paul dark. Your situation's not the Apostle Paul dark. It's not as bad as he was going through. He's in jail right now, okay? If anybody had the challenge card, if anybody had the objection card, if anybody could call their lawyer card, it's Paul. And so he's like, you know what I do every day? I'm so thankful, <laughs> For what, Paul, you know? I'm thankful for you. Yeah, but Paul, your situation stinks right now. Oh yeah, I'm, I don't worry about that. I look beyond. See, I'm a believer. Maybe you're a believer here and your situation stinks right now. You've been through some seasons where thankfulness wasn't the first reaction for you. Can I challenge you? It can be and should be, especially if you're a Christian. And maybe your situation is grievous. Maybe it's really difficult. They say that there's five stages of grief. That when something happens, you go through five different stages. There's obviously more or less, but there's five stages. The first one's denial, where you're just like, whoa, no, no way. What? Wait, no, 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 no. And the second one is anger, where you start to settle in. You're like, well, whose fault is it then? Who do I kill? What do, who do I fire? Who do I sue? And you get mad. And the third stage of grief, they say, is bargaining, where you begin to kind of, okay, okay, what the heck? Well, maybe if I... And you start to bargain. And the fourth stage, they say, is depression, where you just start to realize that this is true. And it takes you down, that's what they say. And then the fifth and final stage, they say, is, starts with A, acceptance. When you finally get to this point, you're like, all right, it is what it is. And you've gone through denial and anger, and bargaining and depression until you finally accept it. But can I add two more? If you're a Christian, the last two that I'm gonna add to that after you come to acceptance is thanksgiving. And it almost just makes me kind of tear up to think about the things I've been through that I had to accept eventually. And then as a believer, you start to say, you know what? This is weird. 
this is weird. This is crazy. I, I'm a, it's hard to even say it, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I went through that. I'm thankful I lost that kid. I'm thankful I lost that job. I'm thankful I lost my health. I'm thankful that this fell apart. I'm thankful. I'm thankful I got fired. I'm thankful. Now, you don't just maybe jump there right away, you know? You process. But if you're a Christian, you have to, you must, you get to come out the other side and say, I think I'm thankful. In, in, the, in the seventh stage, it's not just thankfulness, but it's very synonymous, very close, and it's victory. It's where you as a believer are victorious. Your loss, it's real, your difficulty, but it doesn't define you. you you're victorious, you've gotten through this. And here the apostle Paul in jail, sentenced to death, head coming off, not gonna go well for this man, more beaten. He would say in other epistles that he bears the marks of Christ on his body. I mean, that guy had been smoked, dealt with, okay? Hurt, maligned, abandoned, abused, betrayed. He's like, I'm actually pretty thankful. What, Paul? You need to see a psychiatrist. You know, like, no, no, no. He actually told us in 1 Corinthians 11, do what I do, imitate me. Eyes on the prize. And I don't want to minimize your suffering. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't want to minimize your pain, your mistake, your sadness, your difficulty, your death. Things. Paul said, though, I give thanks. And if you want to bear fruit in tough times, can I just encourage you to start to be thankful? The other day I was in the other room. I just got done making uh, dinner for my kids. And I think we'd just gotten home from a trip and cooked up some, I heated up some leftover spaghetti. Super tough. Just kidding. And, and I said it in front of my kids and I was in the other room and, and Nemo, my 12-year-old, he yelled from the other room. He's like, hey, dad, thanks for dinner. And I stopped and I was like, you're welcome, son. I got $100 for you. You know, here you go. You know. I didn't give him $100. But, but he was grateful. He was thankful. 12-year-old kid. How much more so do you think the Lord hears you in the midst, when you just notice stuff? Lord, thanks for, thanks for my car. Are you thankful for your car? I'm so thankful for my car. I drive my 2008 Tahoe. It's got 210,000 miles on it. Okay, it's, 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 it's pretty rad. And, and, I'm, and I, I drive that sucker, and I'm like, dude, this car is it's the best car I've ever had in my life. Of all my cars, God's blessed me. Maybe he's blessed you in your life, and you just look at your silly little things in your life, and you're, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. You're so good. I could look at it a different way. My upholstery's cracking. Stuff's happening. Gas guzzler. Our national pastime used to be baseball. Now it's complaining. This is what we love to do. We have forums. We have, you know, complaint centers. And it does nothing for us. It does nothing for us. It eats us up. Complaining is as productive as bringing a rocking chair to a running race, okay? And you're sitting in your rocking chair and go, you know, you're just walking there, you know, and everybody's out of here and you, it's not helping you. You're not going, you're, you're sweating the most. You're the angriest. You're getting blisters on your backside. I gotta move on. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying all is free. Number two thing I want you guys to focus on and ask yourself, am I doing this? Not only giving thanks for everything, but praying for others, praying for yourself, praying in all things. He says, we give thanks for you, praying for you always. 
praying. Praying is something that we're commanded to do, but if you're like me, you would say you don't do enough of. It's something that in your Christian disciplines you need to do more of is to pray. And I just wanna encourage you guys, prayer is one of God's ways to develop our character and our faith. Maybe you don't have great faith and don't have great character. Can I just encourage you to be a prayer person? Start to pray. Jesus asked his disciples, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't know how to pray. And I'm gonna encourage you, remind you, and ask you to pray. Keep praying. As a matter of fact, when I left the house this morning, Noah was still getting up and he was coming down the stairs, but he wasn't there. It was just Acacia and Nemo. And I gave him both a hug. I got my 12-year-old Nemo and my 10-year-old Acacia. And I hugged them both and I brought them in close. And I said, Nemo, pray for me. And he kind of squirmed and didn't really want to. And I, I squeezed him harder. He knew I wasn't gonna let him go. And I said, no, pray. you gotta pray for me. And so he prayed for his dad. He prayed for that, that I'd preach powerfully today, that I'd get through the day and that people would give their lives to Jesus. And I squeezed Acacia. I said, now you pray. And she prayed that I'd be able to preach the gospel and walk in power and get through the day. And it's my privilege, but it's my responsibility to teach my kids to pray, to lead in prayer, to model it, to exempt. I'm a pastor, so I like get paid to pray. I'm a professional prayer person, that's what I do. But I'm also just a normal dude. And yeah, I've been growing in this last couple of years in prayer. I just, I, I pray more. Last year during 2020, we did the, the uh, drive-through prayer. And it was such a powerful time when we couldn't gather. And people were driving from Salem to pray with us. And they were so hungry for, for connection. Prayer. And if you're looking in your life right now and there's not a lot of fruit, okay, check your prayer gauge. Do, do you pray? And most of us would be so quick to confess. Yeah, that, that's where the problem's at. It's my prayer life. Okay, fix it. Let the Lord wake you up at two in the morning. Say, so you gonna pray more? Just quick prayers. Doesn't have to be long prayers. Don't have to pray all King Jamesy. You don't have to get all weird. You know, just pray. Prayer is one of the quickest way to get to someone's heart. Okay, the, the closest connection to any one or two people is through prayer. You just connect. You, it's so powerful. Prayer's a couple things. I want you guys to write this down. Number one, prayer's will shaping. It shapes your will. Jesus, when he prayed, said, not my will, but thy will be done. And when you're praying, your will is shaped because sometimes we bring to God our to-do list, our grocery list. We say, oh, I got these things. And when we pray, we leave it a little differently. As a matter of fact, not only is it will shaping prayer, and number two, it's verbal processing. When you're, I mean, some of you guys are verbal processors. You don't really know what's going on, but if you talk to your wife or talk to your best friends or talk out loud to God, you come to the end of the conclusion, like, man, that was such a good talk. I figured everything out. That's what prayer is intended to do. It's will shaping and it's verbal processing. And number three, prayer is also burden transferring. It's where you take your burdens. Anybody got any burdens right now? Big stuff on your shoulders, big backpack full of worry and all these responsibilities. And the Lord says, you can't handle that. Yoke up with me. Cast all your cares on the Lord knowing he cares for you. And let me just put a litmus test out there. After you've prayed, if you're still stressed out and burdened, you didn't do it right. Just so you know. Cast your cares on the Lord, leave them there. How many guys professionally like cast the cares on the Lord then you grab them right when you leave? You're like, I got this, you know? And you leave with the burdens, leave it with the Lord. And if you take it back on accident, give it back. I love praying. It's so fun when I pray for people that are, their situation's out of control and it's too big for them, too big for me, too big for us. I love praying, put it at the, at the foot of the cross and say, your problem, Lord. For real, it's your problem. I'm gonna be responsible and walk through what I gotta do, but that is your problem now, Lord. You take care of it, okay, in the way that you see fit. I can't handle it, it's too big for me. Because sometimes we think that our prayers gotta like, instantaneously move mountains, okay? Make things happen. That's, that's outside of your ability. It's outside of your ability. Stop trying to be God. I used to have a savior complex. It was horrible. And I used to do what I do in the ministry and used to fret about what I do in order to save people. And the Lord whispered to my ear one time, he's like, Luke, I already saved everybody, bro. You don't need to. And I was like, oh my gosh, does everyone know this? You know, 
I don't have to be the savior. I don't have to fix it all. I can't fix it all. But I can pray. So number one, it's will shaping. It's verbal processing. It's burden transferring. And, and fourthly, this is what we're all looking for, if you're honest. It's power producing. You have not because you ask not. Pray. Pray. Somebody took the acronym PUSH, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. Just keep praying. Power producing. And when you pray, you pray. I want to encourage you guys to, to be a prayer people. Yesterday, I was at John and Deb Smith's house and baptizing Don and Judy. And, and we were out there, and we, we prayed before we baptized. We prayed after we baptized. And they took off, and, and, and John and Deb and his brother and his sister-in-law came over, and they were hanging out. And as I was leaving, I was getting ready to go to Philomath to do a wedding, and I put on my, my wedding clothes and took off my baptism clothes and shorts and a T-shirt. And, and it was, I, I was leaving, I was like, let's pray again. Let's just pray one more time. Pray a blessing on them. And when I get home, I pray for my kids. And, and, I, and I prayed for the couple at the wedding and, and I prayed for them afterwards and, and just pray. pray. I'm gonna, I get paid to pray so it's easy. I, I say that in, in, in jest, you know. I was like, oh, Pastor Luke prays. That's what he does. Listen, the Bible says that we are all priests in the kingdom of God, that he has asked us all to be prayer people. Wouldn't it be so radical if you moms, dads, sons, daughters, brothers and sisters, husbands, wives, all just started praying more. I'm not good at prayer, Pastor Luke, I understand. None of us are good at what we do when we first begin. Yeah, but I just don't know how it works. Trust me, it works. Get good at it. Make it your lifelong pursuit. Has anybody ever asked you, can I pray for you? And you're like, oh, oh, thank you. Oh, oh, now I feel cared for, oh, oh, you know. Wouldn't that be awesome if you got to do that for people? just to bless people everywhere you go. You don't have all the answers. You don't have all the resources. You don't have what people need. Pray for them, and you will give them the resources of heaven. I've been a competitive athlete my whole life, and within competitive athletics, there's all kinds of components. One of the components I've not appreciated until recently is stretching and warm-ups. Okay, I was just kind of like that wild athlete that wanted to show up, and I'm not gonna stretch, I'm not gonna warm up, I'm just gonna go out there and dominate, okay? And that works for about three or four years when you're younger, and eventually, though, you realize, I gotta stretch and warm up. And when I train my athletes, I tell them for two reasons, we stretch and warm up because it's going to improve your performance, but it's also gonna protect you from injury. And I think prayer is the same. It's gonna improve what happens. It's gonna protect you from getting out of bounds. And it's something that you need to do as a disciplined, spiritual athlete is to pray. So number one is to be thankful. Number two is to pray. And number three is to put your faith in Jesus. These three things come up next. Look with me. We're going to run out of time. I don't want to run out of time, so I'm going to keep talking. Here it goes. It says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for the saints. There's two points in verse four I want you to uh, note here. He prays for them since he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints. Now stop right there, eyes up there, it's kind of interesting. He heard about the church at Colossae from Epaphras, and Epaphras shows up and says, man, this church is awesome. They have faith in Jesus, they love the saints, and they have hope in heaven. He's like, let's pray. Like, it's kind of interesting. It would be expected that a pastor say, let's pray, if Epaphras showed up and said, dude, the church at Colossae, it's all messed up. They have heresy, they have immorality, and they got contention, let's pray. And you would pray for a person who's going through chaos, wouldn't you? Instead, Paul gets a good report from Epaphras. He says, I want to pray. Here's my point. Most of us know how to pray for people who are hurting. Lives are falling out of control. People are spiraling. Can I challenge you to pray for people who are successful? Here's why. Most people who are successful in your life, whether 
body, mind, or spirit. They got the physique, or they got the finances, or they got the spirituality, and you're looking at them, and they're successful in what they do. Most of us take them for granted and or are covetous and greedy towards them, and or, if we're completely honest, we don't really like them because they have what we don't. You want to know how to fix that? Pray for them. And when you pray for somebody, your heart will soften toward them. Your mind will be purified toward them. And let's just be honest. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is elevated and blessed, we all are blessed. You see somebody who's blessed spiritually or monetarily or relationally, maybe they're married and you're single and you're, whatever, dude. Maybe they have kids, you don't have kids, and you're like, whatever, dude. Maybe they're in a ministry and you're not in a ministry, whatever. Maybe they got the physique, they got the money, then you just jealous, whatever. Hey, hey, hey. Paul heard about a church that was doing good. He's in jail. He's like, I'd like to pray for that church. What are you gonna pray for him? Oh, it's gonna be nuts. We're gonna see that next week, what he, his prayer for them. See, we're so narcissistic and we're so pessimistic and we're so sarcastic and maybe it's just me, but maybe it's a few of you too. Pray for the people that are doing well. Don't just pray for the people that are doing bad. That's easy. That's, that's easy. Pray for successful churches. Pray for successful men, successful women. Pray for them. And you'll find your heart growing in love. You'll be bearing fruit in difficult times. He keeps going, though, and he says that since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, these guys have three markers of a Christian church, three markers of a mature Christian, faith, hope, and love. And these are the three other things I want to point out to you. Number one, give thanks. Number two, pray. Number three, this point, if you want to bear fruit in tough times, is put your faith in Jesus. Listen, not others. Put your faith in Jesus, not a church. Put your faith in Jesus, not a pastor. Put your faith in Jesus, not an author, not a singer, not a leader, not a denomination, not a congregation, not an experience, not a mission trip, not anything that you have out here horizontally. Don't put your faith in that stuff because listen, I hate to say it, that stuff is gonna fail you. That stuff's gonna come up short. That stuff's gonna let you down. That stuff can't save you. Now, this kind of goes without saying. Where's your faith? I think it goes without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. He said, I heard about you guys. What'd you hear? Well, I heard they had, they had faith. And maybe Paul grilled Epaphras says, what's their faith in? I've never been there. Dude, let me tell you what. They love Jesus. <laughs> they love Jesus? Out of all the other gods in Rome and out of all the other people, and, and they're not into Paul or Apollos or Kepha or all these other issues. They really love Jesus? You want to bear fruit in tough times? Okay, stay focused on Jesus Christ. Because I, as your pastor, I'm going to let you down one day. Maybe it's already happened. I'm sorry. That's why you're watching online at home and putting the angry face on. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just kidding. It's going to happen. I've let down so many people, and I've been let down. It's going to happen. Guys, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, nothing's going to stop you. You're going to have fruit, just like that Psalm 1 tree. Any season, you're going to have leaves. Any season, you're going to have fruit if you're focused on Jesus Christ. This kind of goes without saying, my son and I were driving yesterday, uh, maybe Friday. I was taking Noah, my 13-year-old, to a landscaping job in Toledo, and, and we were talking about some people, and, and he asked this question about this one particular person in our community. He said, it, it, are they a Christian? And I said, no. And I said, wait, wait, wait. I don't, maybe they are. I said, well, I don't know. And we had this conversation. We said, what are you talking about, Dad? It's either in or out. What are you talking about? What's your problem, Dad? Theological discussion. I said, well, they go to a church that doesn't necessarily teach Teach what we teach out of the Bible. He said, well, what do they teach, Dad? I said, that's a good question. I don't know. So they teach humanism, you know, secularism, just kind of good deeds and love people and kind of horizontal, horizontal, horizontal. It's not really vertical, vertical, vertical. And he looked at me and kind of laughed. He's like, what, how, how do you do that? I said, it's got to be vertical. You see, instead of, instead of a culture up mentality, culture up, it's got to be a kingdom down mentality. 
You have to look at your life and look at the scriptures and look at everything going on. It's gotta be kingdom down. The kingdom is coming. This world is not gonna stay here. South Beach Church, Luke Frechette, all these other things, your denomination, your church. You're not gonna get to heaven one day and the Lord look at you and say, hey, where'd you go to church? God doesn't care where you go to church when you get to heaven. Or let's say it differently. You go to heaven one day and the Lord says, you wanna come in? He's like, yeah. And you're like, you know what I'm getting in? I had an SB hoodie. You go sit over there. You get to heaven, he's gonna say, what'd you do with my son? I had faith in Jesus Christ. Come into your glory. Come into your glory. I had faith in Jesus Christ. My faith was in Jesus Christ. Or as he said, my faith was in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ is not Jesus' last name. You guys know that, right? His name was Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Christ is a position of the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He is God. You have to have faith in Jesus, but not just faith in Jesus. He says in verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, not only do you guys have a connection vertically, but listen, you also have a connection horizontally. You love everybody. He said you love for all the saints. How many of you guys love some of the saints? Raise your hand. Some of the saints? Some of the saints, you know? Raise up both hands. How many of you guys love all the saints? Like, what? All the saints? That's what he said. And if you want to bear fruit in tough times, okay, I dare you to just start loving people. You guys know that love is a, it's a verb, it's an action. It's not an emotion. Sometimes we wait till we love people to love people. Don't wait till you love people to love people. Love covers a multitude of sins, okay? Love keeps no record of wrong. Love is a fruit of the spirit. Against such, there is no law, there's no cap. You ever wonder, should I love this person? Should I love, read the Bible, should I love my enemy? Read the Bible, should I love my spouse right now? Read the Bible, should I love my kids? Should I love my neighbor? Should I love this person who failed me, who hurt me? Love them. Love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 18. Love George DeSoto, love everybody. Love you, George, so much. <laughs> love. Guys, three things, faith, love, and hope. And he says, your, your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, verse five, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. If you wanna bear fruit and understand what God's doing in tough seasons of your life, have hope, listen, in eternity. Where's your hope at right now? The Bible specifically and clearly details that all of these things on earth are going to burn and vanish and be taken away from us. Nothing's gonna last forever. Heaven is gonna last forever. That's where your hope is. Hope should be a, a joy that anchors you to the ground no matter what else is failing around you. A confident expectation of coming good. Do you have that? Do you have the hope of heaven? Yesterday when I was baptizing uh, Don and Judy and John Smith and I were talking, and we were talking about getting sick, and we were talking about Bev, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about dying. And, and he just got this big smile on his face. I'm not afraid to die. That's my, the hope of, it's the hope of heaven. And, I, and the other day I was driving, and I got this like, simple revelation. See, death's not a new thing. You guys figured that out, right? It's not just a 2020 like, pandemic. Oh my gosh, we're gonna die. It's like, no, we all knew that. The fact you're gonna die should be the greatest alleviator in your life. The fact you're going to die, everything you have and hold should be so open-handed. Like, it, none of it matters. I came in naked. I'm leaving naked. I'm getting out of here. None of it matters. Because how much, how much of the stuff that you have right now matters? Like, all this stuff. You know. And the Lord says, <laughs> I wanna, I'm going to clue you in. You're going to die. Oh, 
Okay, so this is all just a trial run. This is all just faith stored up in heaven. Heaven's forever. This is all temporary. Yeah, it's just super temporary. <laughs> Woo, changes everything for the believer. Do you believe that? For the non-believer, this is as good as it's ever gonna get. This is all you ever get. This is the best it's gonna get. You better get all you can and can all you get and sit on the can. This is it. For the believer though, dude, the hope of heaven. Do you have that hope? I do. I'm 43 years old, man. I'm getting close. I'm gonna run as fast as I can to that finish line. I can't wait to get there. I'm gonna blast right through that finish line. Is that how you look at life? I'm going to slay it till I get there. I'm not going to show up with a bunch of resources. I'm going to show up on empty, rusty car, burned out in the race to get there instead of rusted out, waiting to get there. Anyways, I'm way beyond our time. I don't care. I'm going to get through these seven points. Two more, okay? Two more. I'm just going to rip through these. The 11 a.m. can wait. Man, we're just going to finish this. Give me two more minutes. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the gospel. Guys, the only way you're gonna stay hopeful is by feeding on the word of the gospel of truth. If you're not feeding on God's word, you're feeding on something else. And we can tell by looking at you what you've been feeding on, okay? You are what you eat. Get it? amen from somebody who's honest out there? And it is a spiritual principle, not just physical. And if you're walking around hopeless, if you're walking around dire, if you're walking around depressed, if you're walking around visionless, it is because you have not been feeding enough or rightly on this word of truth. You just haven't been. You've been feeding on CNN, Fox News, Facebook, Instagram, other things. You've just been giving yourself all this stuff and I don't know why I'm depressed. I don't know why I'm not walking in this hope. Well, feed on the word and you will walk in the hope of the gospel of truth. The gospel, it's the good news. There's lots of news out there. Have you guys read the news lately? Okay, none of it's good. And there's lots of news out there that's true. That's still not good. The good news is true and it's good. Focus on the good news and you'll find yourself walking. So that's number six is feed on the word of the truth of the gospel. And number seven, this is kind of just fun for me. I want you guys to see this. He says in verse six, which has come to you is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Just, just one point, it's not in, in my points, but I want you to make this application. Where the gospel of truth is heard and preached, listen, it bears fruit. In every nation, in every country, in every community, there's gospel fruit that is love. Where the gospel has gone internationally in our history, okay, this is where orphanages began. This is where hospitals began. This is where education systems for all began. This is for welfare aid and for people who need help began. It's all in the gospel. When the gospel comes into your life, it begins to bear fruit, real, lasting, eternal fruit. Now that's cool, nationalistically everywhere. Can I say this about you? If you're a child of God today, okay, you might not see this, but you're growing. You're growing. You ever put a seed in the ground before and water it and then go to bed and wake up the next day and it looks exactly the same? That's why I don't garden. I go to Fred Meyer's. I get my produce, man. It is ready to go. <laughs> Give me some of that organic green leaf lettuce, you know, 289, easy. But I have gardened. I have put the seed in and waited and waited and waited until one day all of a sudden pff, the little thing comes up. You're like, wow, hey, honey, get the camera, check it out. You know, and you take a picture and 
man, we, we kind of let our garden go this year, but we got this cabbage in the back, and it is like this big. I mean, it's so big. You probably not even can. You can give it to some rabbits or something. It's huge. It just keeps growing. I want to encourage you. You're growing. You might not feel it. You might not see it. You might not sense it. Hey, look back at where you came from. Are you doing any better than what than you ever have done in your life? Amen, okay? You might not be where you want to be, but you're not done yet. You're growing. Feed on the word, trust in the Lord. He's gonna grow in the last thing. Look what he says. He says in verse seven, as you also learned from Epaphras, that means Epaphras taught him, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf who also declared to us your love in the spirit. My last point is this. If you wanna grow in times of testing, okay, develop a culture of honor, a culture of appreciation. It comes back to our first point, being thankful. He hears about Epaphras. He's like, hey, I want you. He's writing this letter to the church at Colossae and he gives it to this guy named Onesimus and he says, go to live this at the church at Colossae and they read it and they read it and you know what he says in verse seven and eight? He says, you got a good pastor. Pastor Epaphras is teaching you guys. He's a fellow dear servant. He, told, he taught you guys the truth. I wanna know what this conversation looked like. Paul and Epaphras, Paul's concerned. What's wrong with the church? Well, there's not a lot wrong. We got a few things, but what, 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 do, they, what do they believe in? Well, they, they have faith in Jesus and, and love for everybody. It's pretty crazy. And they have hope in heaven. And, and Paul says, how'd they learn that stuff, Epaphras? He says, well, I taught him. I taught him what you taught me, Paul, when we were at Ephesus together. I taught him everything you taught me. He's like, hey guys, I wanna honor Epaphras. And can I just say, we need to honor more people in our lives. Honor, give honor where honor is due. Okay, try it. Give it to your spouse. Honor your spouse this week. Just bless them. Honor them. Honor your kids. Humble yourself and honor your children. Honor your neighbor. We live in a, we live in a culture right now of dishonor. There is disrespect everywhere. For whatever reason you want to fill in the blank. Okay? And I would say if you want to be a fruitful Christian, you want to have fruit, love of the Spirit, okay? Honor people. You've heard it said before, if you can't honor the person, at least honor their position. Honor the uniform. I'm gonna ask you guys the same question I asked myself last night and at the beginning. Are you guys gonna do these things? Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Father, in Jesus' name, would you help us to do that for your glory, for our good, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, that we'd produce fruit that would last eternally, that we wouldn't just be sheep without a shepherd and wandering around. We wouldn't be rebels justifying ourselves or, or holding grudges or walking in bitterness, but instead we'd be like trees in the middle of a drought with our roots growing down and our fruit sticking out, Lord. Make that what South Beach Church does. Forgive us of our sins, lead us everlastingly, Lord, and do a work in us that you might do a work through us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Get out of here and get out in the race and go do some sweet things. Walk in thankfulness. Walk in prayerfulness. Walk in faith in Jesus. Have your love for everybody. Have your hope in heaven. Continue these things and you'll bear